Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Legg and Bryn Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, uh, Chris Legg and Bryn Starnes. And we think Chris Sherrod may be calling in um, at some point into this conversation, um, but we're going to get going anyway. And today we're talking about hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. Right. That's a big Christian word. Society um, of people named Herman. Ah, <laughs> I don't know if I know anyone named Herman. I don't either. This should be fascinating. <laughs> this is going to be great. No, it is not. Uh, Bryn, will you um, will you get us started off by kind of talking through the definition of hermeneutics? Because it's an important thing for us, and it's valuable for our listeners to understand what hermeneutics is. Sure. Yeah. I can give a definition, and then I think Chris has one also. Um, but yeah, it's another one of those words that's even bigger than archaeology. So, um, but is, <laughs> is very valuable to understanding, um, just the Christian walk. And so we want to dig into it, but before we do that, hermeneutics is basically like the study and establishment of principles by which we interpret the Bible. Um, a way that I've heard it put that was helpful to me we talk about worldview a lot and we explain worldview as like the lens by which we see the world. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then in my understanding is that hermeneutics is the lens by which we view and interpret scripture. Mm-hmm. So just like in worldview, if we have a wrong lens, it skews reality. Um, yeah. Our view of reality in the same way, if we have the wrong lens by which we're looking at scripture, it skews that truth, our view of that truth. Mm. What, what is your definition, Chris? Um, The one I use is that it is the art and science of studying revelation. Now that doesn't mean the book of revelation. Mm -hmm. This can all get confusing because the language is used in multiple ways, but the word hermeneutics actually comes from the Greek God Hermes, Um, not Herman Hermes. And uh, he was the messenger of the gods. And so when we study hermeneutics, it's the, techniques by which you would study any revelation that is allegedly from God, especially if it's in the past. And, and though we typically almost always hear about it in Christian circles nowadays, most often that may just be because we are Christians, but, um, but you would have a a hermeneutical process for studying the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita or um, the Tao Te Ching, potentially, if those are considered to the degree those are considered holy books or holy mm-hmm. revelation from uh, a divine being. So, um, and so it's just, it is the art and science of, of how you would properly do that. And that's obviously really important because people talk all the time about, well, we, you can say it's, you can make it say whatever you want to make it say. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's not accurate, not, not, and be proper. Mm-hmm. That would be similar to saying you can say math, say whatever you want it to say. Like, yeah. well, you you can, you just, you just be wrong. Yeah. Would you um, even say that even though most people may not say that they're aware of hermeneutics or even care about them, but we all are a proponent of like, we still believe something about hermeneutics because it, it reveals itself in the way that we teach or even our <clears throat> yeah. practice. And so even if we wouldn't say we're interested in it, we still ascribe to a, some type of hermeneutic. Yeah, I think it's kind of like theology. You can, everyone is a theologian. 
Right. Mm-hmm. You, may, you may be a bad theologian or an undertrained theologian or a, or a great theologian, but everyone has thoughts about God. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if you're at even at the baseline educated, you must have thoughts about holy writing um, and how you would use it or apply it. And it's all over the map, what people do. So mm-hmm. anyway, what were some of the, did you, didn't you, when you were doing the research, you found some of the principles? Um, well, I was more um, looking at different, different types, but before we do that, can we talk about why it's important? Like a little yes, bit longer, please. <laughs> just because I think this is helpful for me and maybe helpful for some listeners. But, um, as I was thinking through it, I think one of the things that kept, and th- we've mentioned this before in the podcast, but I think one of the important things is, um, as humans and even more so as Americans, we come to scripture egocentrically mm-hmm. and we, come to it of of like this was written for me the author was like me what does it say about me Mm. and i think hermeneutics is is one of the important reasons that we need to study it is because um i think it it helps us remember that that's not the case like scripture applies to us it was definitely um god's word to us but it is it is not primarily about us it's about god and i think if we don't study hermeneutics correctly it's easy for us to to have a lot of skewed views of that but that's one personally of like even viewing scripture egocentrically and then um we misinterpret misunderstand scripture and then like we've talked about in the past from then from that we then start to misunderstand god and what he's promising to us right so i don't know what would you say is one of the important well this is so I think way back we studied epistemology in one of our reasonable faith, reasonable faith. I wish uh, that's, that's Dr. Craig's reconstructed beautiful. Faith. Yeah. Reconstructed yeah, yeah, yeah. faith is what I meant to say. Uh, yeah. Go check out reasonable faith by uh, William Lane Craig. It's fantastic. Mm. Um, but reconstructed faith is, um, uh, is that the, there are five basic sources of knowledge mm-hmm. of what is knowable or true intuition, authority, empirical evidence, reason, and revelation. Mm -hmm. Well, in the same way that empirical evidence, the scientific method has very specific rules. And if you break the rules, your results are untrustworthy. Um, In the same way that reason has very specific rules. And if you break those rules, you're going to end up with a false conclusion. Well, no different than that is revelation. And so we would call the scientific method the rules by which you discover things through empirical evidence. Hermeneutics is the rules by which you discover truth through revelation. Mm. It's that important. Mm. And so if you're just, if you're just someone who picks up a holy book and you just start reading it with no concept and throwing truth out of it or throwing truth into it or making it say whichever you want to say, Mm -hmm. you're no different than someone who has no concept of the scientific method trying to run an experiment. Mm -hmm. You're just making stuff up is all you're doing. And so we need, we need to have an an art and a science for how to understand revelation. It's that important. Otherwise, so we've gone through the limitations. When we did that podcast, we went through the limitations of each of them and Mm -hmm. humans are kind of the limitation on each of them. There's nothing wrong with the laws of logic. We're just terrible sometimes at applying them. It's not that the scientific, the scientific method is not effective and appropriate. It's it's just that we're not always great at doing it. <clears throat> we already have preconceived notions and when the results of our scientific study doesn't match that, we don't like it. So we throw it out and try again, but mm-hmm. how much worse 
when it comes to saying, this is what God says, how much more important, not less important, is having an, a good understanding of the rules and guidelines. And there's some simple ways of coming at it and some really challenging ways. You can spend a whole lifetime studying hermeneutics for, mm-hmm. for our sake. Um, yeah, that's, it's, that, it's that important. Mm-hmm. And it is scary to think how many people read and study and even teach things mm-hmm. from the Bible and they have no concept of the right guidelines and rules for doing that. And it's how we end up with amazingly mm-hmm. bad teaching at times and heretical teaching and all kinds of things. Yeah. And so, and what would you tell somebody if it was like that, who had kind of the radical autonomy idea of like, well, wait, why, why should somebody tell me how to read this book? Why should somebody, <laughs> Great question. you know, why, why who gets should, to why, say, yeah, why, who, who, who says, who say? says that these are the rules? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, what, how would you address that? This is one of my favorites because one of the guidelines of radical autonomy thinking, of expressive individualism thinking, and we've talked about those on the podcast mm-hmm. and how difficult those are to integrate into any type of rationality, but is everybody gets to define who they are and what they are, except God. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be one of the principles is, wait a minute, he doesn't get to decide? It's, if there's anyone who actually does have radical autonomy, it would be God. If there's anyone who actually has expressive individualism, right. it would be God. And he's the only person we don't allow that to. I think I think I may have even mentioned, you know, months ago in the podcast. Uh, I know. I remember you saying that. Saying that. Yeah. yeah. Frank Peretti had that. Uh, he had a talk called God's Way or My Way. I think that was the name of it. Okay. Years ago, like in the 70s. Uh, he's the author of the This Present Darkness, that whole series. Mm-hmm. And uh, he... He and in the talk, he imagined some of you will be old enough, hopefully, out there to remember Shirley MacLaine, and she was part of the New Age movement. And she talks about going and standing on a beach and screaming at the top of her lungs, "I am God, I am God, yeah, I am God, I am God." And and Frank Preddy said he imagined God up in heaven, going like, "Wait, shh, you might y'all hear anything? <laughs> I think I hear something. What is that?" Looking down through the skies, and the archangel Michael's like, "Oh yeah, she's out there uh, doing it again." The <laughs> Like, anyway, but if anyone gets to be, <laughs> sorry, Peretti that's, does it so well. Um, that's like, <laughs> but if anyone gets to have radical autonomy, it would be God. So if you're going to respect other humans and say, listen, you get to define who you are and describe who you are. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be really important that you give God the same courtesy? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't agree with radical autonomy as a good cultural concept. Wow, but can you imagine how important it is that we follow God's rules for knowing God? That we have good... I mean, if you want to get to know me, you need to follow my boundaries. <clears throat> We've talked about um, if I asked everybody out there what kind of flowers I should buy. I'm going to buy my wife some flowers. What kind of flowers should I get her? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's opinion is equally worthless to me. Because I'm not buying them for you. The only value you could bring to me is if you know my wife well enough to know her favorite flowers. And God deserves that same dignity. Mm-hmm. That we would say, okay, God, how would you want to be known? How would you want to be understood? And the principles that we see here actually are the principles for helping us understand what it is that God would want mm-hmm. from us. And, and, and we need to have a way of doing that. And so he gets to set up the guidelines and he gets to set up some of these rules. And, and so I think, I think in revealing truth, he wants us to do it in a way that makes sense. And that, that doesn't put words in his mouth that aren't his words. And so that makes us be extra careful with that. We always have to be that. So mm-hmm. before we yeah. go into the 
the guidelines or rules. Can I? And then I'd love to ask another question, just mm-hmm. playing devil's advocate. Um, Please. Or not even devil's advocate, but I know a lot of people think along these lines. And if there's someone mm-hmm. out there, I would love to hear mm-hmm. on their behalf. Um, I have heard and read of people who ascribe to more of the idea that Christians don't need hermeneutics because they have the spirit to reveal God's word to them. Right. So throughout history, I even read someone say specifically, um, quote, throughout history, Christians have read and understood understood God's word without hermeneutics. What would you say to that? <laughs> uh, first, I would say, no, they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, or if they did, they, they risked doing it badly. Now, that's yeah. a risk. Um, so what I would say is not only did the Holy Spirit inspire the, the scriptures, but I do believe that he illuminates scripture. Mm-hmm. So I, I do agree that the spirit can give us insight and input um, through scripture that may or may not follow good hermeneutical principles. He's not, he is not restricted by hermeneutical principles. There are a couple of places where, for example, Matthew will quote a passage that as a preacher, I would not be willing to quote the Old Testament passage the same way he does, because mm-hmm. I don't think it follows great hermeneutical standards. Mm-hmm. But I'm not being inspired by the Holy Spirit, and I believe Matthew was. Now, that's a that's not universal. It's not a big problem. But there are a couple of places where Matthew, for example, quotes a prophecy in a place that I would go, huh, I wouldn't have thought to put that there. <clears throat> and even going and looking at it, I don't know that I would feel comfortable putting it there. So... Certainly the role of the Holy Spirit is real. Mm-hmm. The warrant of the Holy Spirit is real and isn't to be ignored. Um, there's a wonderful story that Patsy Claremont tells in um, the book, God Uses Cracked Pots, in which she had been um, agoraphobic for years and years mm-hmm. and felt like God was leading her to go speak and tell her story. And so agoraphobic meaning fear of open places, but literally it, it actually applies as like the fear of fear, the fear of having a panic attack. Mm-hmm. So that's, you're anxious about being anxious. And so a lot of times those people get stuck in their house and they can't ever get out mm-hmm. and because they're locked in. And so, so here she is <clears throat> and she feels like God has led her to do this. So in, with all the courage she can muster, she's actually getting on an airplane. She wow. gets on an airplane to fly to this place where she's supposed to speak and she's overwhelmed with anxiety, totally overcome. So she randomly picks up her Bible, opens it randomly to a spot in the Bible, points to a random verse. Now that is not good hermeneutics. That mm-hmm. is a terrible way to study and look at scripture. And the passage she found was, behold, I will bring you to the earth. She was like, wow, God has just comforted me. Now I, I'm totally okay with the idea that the Holy Spirit took Patsy Claremont to that specific verse yeah. mm-hmm. in that moment, even though she was using terrible hermeneutical principles. Now the story goes on. She told the story in the talk <clears throat> and a lady in the talk came up afterwards and said, that was really a beautiful story. You took what verse was that exactly again? And she said it. And the lady said, hmm, my translation says, behold, I will plummet you to the surface of the earth. <laughs> so she had apparently found one of the passages where Jesus, where, where God is speaking through a prophet to Satan himself. Oh, wow. And so, oh so she just took the verse completely out of context, completely yeah. terrible. And yet I'm okay with the thought that the spirit gave her what she needed in that moment through the illuminated word. Mm-hmm. Or she got super lucky yeah. with, with what she pointed <laughs> and to. And with the translation. And with the translation. Yeah. If she had gotten plummeted, <laughs> yeah. it might have just... It might have been a little we, different response. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's not that I think that the Holy Spirit is not a significant part of understanding and illuminating scripture. 
That being said, I don't think that's what we're called to. I don't think we're called to have a more superstitious attitude about it. It isn't that you can't have him reveal stuff to us. But we also know that throughout that same period of time when some Christians have been illuminated supernaturally to something in Scripture that they, even using bad principles, we have hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of examples of people using bad, coming to bad conclusions Mm -hmm. because they used bad hermeneutical technique Mm -hmm. to reach certain conclusions. Um, A lot of the time, the, the right criticism that Christianity has gotten throughout the years and sometimes gets today comes from bad hermeneutics. Mm. Um, We probably would have avoided the crusades Mm -hmm. if not for bad hermeneutics. We probably wouldn't have persecuted early science, some of the early scientists, if if we had had good hermeneutics, we probably Mm -hmm. still would not be throwing out certain theories as, as anti-Christian if we had good hermeneutics. I mean, there's so many examples of who's been persecuted. I mean, the Spanish inquisition and the whole concept of witchcraft. Um, I don't know what was going on back then. I wasn't there, but certainly some of it I can read as bad hermeneutics. The mistreatment mm-hmm. by Christians of African-American people in America mm-hmm. was bad hermeneutics, not not over, not over pushing back against the Nazis in Germany by the churches, some of the churches, bad hermeneutics. I mean, I think I could come up. Yeah, you I could, could just keep yeah. doing you could go, this. You could yeah. go on and on. And, and I could sit down with my you know great, 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 great whatever uncle, uh, Wade Hampton, who owned a thousand slaves, mm-hmm. and I could sit down with him with his Bible. And say, here's where you were wrong, Wade. Mm-hmm. Here's where you were wrong. You, I don't know how you how you felt like you got away with this, but it is clearly here in Scripture that you're not supposed to be doing what you're doing. Mm. And I suspect he would spout back to me the answers he was given by a pastor who was using bad hermeneutics. Mm-hmm. Um, we run into it all the time, Man. all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I had a, I've been talking a lot, but I know that's going to happen probably today. But th- it was one of those. Um, got stopped in the parking lot of Walmart by somebody who. I don't know why he decided I was the guy to have this conversation with, but to convince me that black people weren't human. And he, he was, was trying to convince <clears> you that? I don't know why he stopped me and oh decided, my. hey, this will be a fun conversation Gosh. using only scripture. And and I, he, he went through like 15 scriptures as fast as I could take a breath, quoting stuff. And they were all over. Like he was linking the, a, 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 one verse from Jude to a verse in Deuteronomy to another verse in, in Isaiah and when he got done with his little monologue wow. and stopped, and I was like, dude, I don't even know where to start with you. Like, you have no idea how to read or study scripture mm-hmm. at all. You just broke every rule about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're just you're just looking for key words. You have an opinion, and you've now pulled the nine verses in the entire Bible that taken out of context seem to defend your opinion. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, like, have you ever read the whole book? Right. Like, you you quoted Timothy. You ever read Timothy? Because I don't think it supports your view as a whole. Mm-hmm. You just randomly grabbed it. And it was, it was like, I wish I could, I should have had him, should have recorded like, Hey, could you do that again for me on mm-hmm. my phone? Like record what you just said. Cause that was maybe one of the most beautiful examples of eisegesis of bad exegesis of bad hermeneutics mm-hmm. I've ever heard in my life. It was, it was impressive. I've yeah. tried to find it online and I can't find it. Wow. Man. I really feel like that's, an, that's one of the most practical, dangerous, um, examples of what we're talking about Mm -hmm. is I mean definitely there's a lot of bad hermeneutics that lead to us being misled or misinformed but I think probably one of the most dangerous is is us pulling what we want to believe out of scripture yep and making it say what we want or supporting our own thoughts well what was the analogy you said earlier about the surgeon or something when you're talking about hermeneutics I mean when someone says when someone says well the holy spirit can guide me 
to anything. I actually would agree with that. The Holy Spirit can guide you with anything. Um, We have the story of Brother Lawrence who, uh, you know, would would do he couldn't do math. He probably had a learning disorder. And so he would but he bought everything for the monastery. So he would go to town with the money the monastery gave him and ask the Holy Spirit to guide him which store to go to and what to buy and which coins to give. Cause he didn't even understand the denominations of the coins. Of course, this is all according to legend. I don't, I don't know that we know this for mm-hmm. sure. And he always got the best deals because the Holy spirit would guide him. He would literally count out coins until the spirit told him to stop. Not because he had no idea what the numbers meant. Man. Allegedly. Now, so I would say certainly if the Holy spirit has the power to do what the Holy spirit does have the power to do, you could do surgery without ever having been trained in surgery. If the Holy spirit chose to move you and walk you mm-hmm. through that process perfectly right. or land a land, a land seven forty-seven right. without any, yeah, without any training, which, but why would you, why, where's the difference between that and testing God? Mm-hmm. We were told very specifically not to test him. And for me to go, Hey, I'm going to go do this spirit. You better lead me or I'm going to kill somebody Mm -hmm. or I'm going to kill a plane full of people. If you don't guide me, lead me like that's just testing the Lord and wrong. Mm. And I don't think that's any different than going to the Bible and going, I got nothing. I'm just going to now again, I think like Patsy Claremont did that with a good motivation, the spirit, because the spirit can do whatever spirit wants to do, decided to, to comfort her in that. Right. And I've seen examples, many examples of that in my own life as well, but you just, you don't, why would you depend on, that when we have such good principles for mm-hmm. how to study scripture and how to dig into it. And, right. and, hermeneutics and, and they're not in not, opposition. Yeah. Hermeneutics is not denying the work of the spirit no. or somehow being like, we need to take this in our own hands. No, not so. at all. It's, it is complementary with the Holy spirit. Yeah. Um, I, all sources of truth should be complementary. All, all efforts to find truth should be complementary. Mm-hmm. When they contradict each other, that means you're wrong with at least one of them. Yeah. Uh, so we spend a decent works. amount of time talking about, why hermeneutics is important right. for us, why good hermeneutics is important. And I really yes. love what you were hitting on, like a lot of just these horrible things that have been justified by yep. scripture. It, it just solidifies in my mind, and I'm sure in our listeners' mind, the, the necessity for good hermeneutics. Oh, yeah. So can we can we talk through like what those principles are? Yeah. You know, you got to, okay. So here, let me go with the, there's a lot of ways to come at this. Okay. This is mine. Okay. And I think I'm stealing this from um, Dr. Howard Hendricks from Dallas Theological Seminary, who probably stole it from somebody else. Um, mm-hmm. My guess is something like this is what, what Christian leaders and teachers have been doing for a long time. It's mm-hmm. a three-step process. Observation, interpretation, application. So when you're studying holy writing... First thing you do is observe. Observe is done in the present time. It's done by me. Mm-hmm. So if I'm reading a passage right now, I am looking at what do I see? What mm-hmm. am I experiencing? What am I seeing? What's in the passage, etc. Right? That's mm-hmm. that's observation. And you want to spend a lot of time there. What am I actually seeing? What's really going on? Who is in the who is in this? And who are the characters and and what's the experience and, and that kind of stuff. So um, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll look up a passage and we will, um, uh, let's see. So we're going to, we're going to, in a minute, we're going to look at Mark four. Okay. Um, and I, this is one of my favorite examples of something that many Christians have read, but, but now you're actually like, Oh, let's, let's look at it at a new level. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And this helps us to see this. So this process, you know, we talk a lot about, 
context. We talk a lot about reading, yeah, reading with the right frame of mind, with the right lens. We've talked about that for a long time. This is the process that allows us to do that. Mm-hmm. So, yes, yes, this is great. Right. In fact, you know, let's Mark four is great, but I'm I think well, let's have a little more extra fun and do Mark six just for okay. extra fun. Mark six. Um, so turn if you're listening. Turn if you're your listening, Bibles. you can turn your Bible to Mark 6. We'll read it. Uh, I, I will. Um, if you don't have a Bible, a look it up online. Yeah. But yes, exactly. sorry. There yes, are plenty of Bibles, lots of Bibles online. Um, okay. So that's observation. We just observe it. We look at it. We see it. We, we can talk about what I'm experiencing in it. It's done in the present time. It's my eyes, my ears, my observation. Mm-hmm. Then we go into the past. And that's what interpretation is. Interpretation is what did Mark mean what did mark see what is mark experiencing Mm. and what are the people who were there so mark wasn't there for this event that i'm about to read that we know of and so it's going to be about the apostles and jesus and what did they learn what did they experience who what were they what was going on what's the context they were in when was this what languages were they speaking Mm -hmm. what did these things mean to them Mm -hmm. in this case this is two thousand years ago approximately two thousand years ago. what did these mean to them and, and in order to do that, this takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And so we need to know what things mean to them, what things mean versus what things mean to us. What type of language was this? We've talked about um, observation, for example, and observation and interpretation overlap quite a bit. They kind of segue yeah. into each other. So, for example, we've talked parts of speech or genre. Mm-hmm. What genre and I'm, am I reading? That's an observation question. What is this narrative? Is this poetry? Is this history? Is this revel? Is this like um, prophetic? God, prophetic, like, yeah. like the, all of that. That's those are not always easily done. Mm-hmm. But that's an example of one that's super, super important. You have to know what part of speech you're reading, and what, and and not even just the genre of literature, but even the phrases that are used. What is this? Is because Jesus spoke in hyperbole at times. Jesus mm-hmm. told jokes. Um, Paul tells jokes. Paul speaks sarcastically. I mean, mm-hmm. There's multiple places where Paul seems clearly to be speaking sarcastically. Well, that's sometimes hard to read in a document right. written 2000 years ago right. in a different language from, you know, 5,000 right. miles or away. Even, yeah. even in historical books, you know, some narrative is like there is hyperbole used to illustrate yep. a question that's like, but for us in our mindset, it's like, if we don't put ourselves in their shoes, we, we don't understand that. Right. And so, there's a lot there. I yeah. mean, even even today, if you're in another culture and you're asking, if you have a translator and you're mm-hmm. telling a joke or you're being sarcastic, it often doesn't mm-hmm. translate. Oh, it doesn't translate at all. <laughs> Think about it. So we go to the Dominican regularly. Do you remember some of the things that are different between their culture and ours that often catch, catch Americans off guard? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, the like other than like pace of life yeah. and... um. They are less sarcastic. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Like much less sarcastic. Yeah. They're much more likely to take something literally. Literally. Yes. Um, At face value. Yeah. Th- there's some funny little ones. Like, for example, they point with their lips, mm-hmm. not with their finger. And so you're in a conversation with somebody and they reference the store and they're doing something funky with their lips. And you're like, what? What, what is <laughs> What's going on? They literally, it's a little bit rude to them to point with their fingers. So they point with their lips and and they wrinkle you can't their, see it but chris is wrinkling yeah, trying, trying to do it, like, <laughs> yeah. point with my lips and so uh 
they could totally throw you, or they wrinkle their nose when they're confused. That one threw me off for a while till Weird. I learned that one. They'd be wrinkling. And, and so I actually made a faux pas down there with them when I was talking to a kid and trying to speak Spanish, which I'm not very good at. And, yeah. and he was wrinkling his nose. And actually in the moment was like, oh my gosh, you're doing the nose thing. Oh my gosh, you're doing it. I've wanted to see somebody. He's like, now, now he's totally awkward. This poor kid's like, now he's watching me do my nose. Like, I'm so sorry. That was so, so a noob of me. Um, anyway. So yeah, there's huge. <coughs> so even huge even in current day, in current yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Not, so, and we're and we are dealing with an ancient culture here, right? Mm-hmm. By our standards, yes, two thousand years ago. Yeah, and and so often they are interpreting a culture from two thousand years in their past, the writing mm-hmm. of Moses, right? And so you literally have mm-hmm. Matthew two thousand years ago, often interpreting Moses, who was fifteen hundred years to two thousand years before before wow before Matthew and. Anyway, this is, this is, that's why you need a science and an art to deal with this. Now, some people hear that and like, ah, man, I could never do it. No, no, it's not. It's, it's not everything means it's not possible at all. In fact, it's so much more fun. And so you can read, I'm going to show you how you can read it at one level and get Mm -hmm. it and love it. And then when you do good hermeneutic, you learn something new that's so cool. So, well, the other, the other thing I wanted to tack uh onto that, Chris, before you jump in is. The fact that we have so many resources are oh at our gosh. disposal right now with yes. the internet, it's like you were just talking about how attainable it is. It's like, man, it really is. It doesn't take that. Like you don't have to go to the library to dig deep into right. things. So yeah, that's, that's great. You, you do have to be careful that, right. that the, right, right, the right. website you're reading has good hermeneutics. Right. True. Uh, <laughs> true. A lot of trash. Thank you for that too. caveat. I'm, I'm a big fan of Bible hub, by mm-hmm. the way, Bible hub uses, you can type in any passage, like I could type in Mark 630 commentaries in Google right now, and the, probably the first link would be Bible Hub, and it would have six to 12 commentaries side by side about that verse. Wow. And they're not all going to agree with each other, but they're all going to have good principles. Right. And you're you're able to kind of compare and contrast right. right there. Right there. I okay. love it. It helps me. Pre- I don't know how people preached before. Yeah. I'm, I'm imagining, you know, John Redfern's dad with like nine commentaries on the table right. and not commentaries are bigger than Bibles. And so That's crazy, like, I can't imagine. And you can't, and you can't like search a keyword. In that. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I Gosh. cheat in a thousand ways. Yes. Um, okay. But anyway, yeah. let's, let's jump, let's jump into what you yeah. were saying though. So observation and then interpretation is going into the past and understanding them, what they meant, their context, their truth, the truth that they were trying to reveal in the way they were writing. Um, and so that's key. What 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 were the truths that they were to the cosmic truths they wanted to reveal in this? And then you come back to the present with application, which is, OK, what do I do with those truths? What do I do with what I've learned? How do mm-hmm. I then live? How do I apply that understanding back to me mm-hmm. in the present time? So. Um, so, for example, one of you guys want to read. um Oh man, it's it's fourteen verses, but I feel like we'd be cheating if we did anything less <laughs> than that. Um, yeah, why don't, why don't we do those fourteen verses, thirty through forty-four? Brynn has a great uh, reading voice. She does. <laughs> you go, Brynn. Okay, Mark. What is this? Mark six. Mark thirty six. through forty-four. Thirty through forty-four. Mark okay. is a great book for hermeneutical study, by the way. How come? Because he's very particular with his words. And it is probably he is actually using sermons to create this work. So he was probably Peter's note taker. Mm. And so Mark wasn't there for most of these events, but he was taking notes on Peter's teaching. 
Well, Peter is teaching in an effort to reveal certain truth about Jesus. Mm-hmm. So he's teaching what happened, but he's doing it in such a way to reveal truth. Um, and so a lot of times you can just, you can unpack something in Mark and it's just, it's just like we're about to do. And you just go, wow, wow. There's two levels here going on here that being good, having good hermeneutics allows me to experience. That's cool. So, okay, go ahead. Okay. Mark six thirty through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. There you go. Very, very famous, well-known story mm-hmm. account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So let's observe. What do you see? What stands out to you? <clears throat> what seems odd or out of place? What seems specific? So who do we, first, who do we have? The apostles. Or apostles, good. Probably 12, all 12 of mm-hmm. them. Okay, good. Or at least a bunch of them. Who, apostle means sent, by the way. These, right. So these are his hand chosen, who we often call the disciples. Mm-hmm. Okay. We they, also have Jesus. They just come came back and were reporting to him. Okay. So they've been out ministering, come back to make a report. Mm-hmm. Good. People are noticing that they're together and got a crowd is gathering. Yep. All the people following these apostles from wherever they went, they've now all been drawn back to this central place where they're meeting up with Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's Good. a pretty... Visual picture. It paints a really yeah. good picture yes. of the setting. Yeah, especially if you've been there, you can actually picture where this is happening on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, probably mm. hillsides going down to the sea. Anyway, good. I love when it says he came ashore and when he saw them, he had compassion on them. So it kind of indicates like this. He Maybe he's tired. Maybe yeah. he's thought that there were some other plans in in place, but then he had compassion on them. And it seems like he made a decision at that point because he, he sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd, which is just a cool picture. And which you can imagine because it, I mean, to interpret a little bit, let's jump ahead a little bit. He went across the sea of Galilee to get away from these crowds. Right. He took a direct route straight across. They ran around the whole thing (laughs) to meet him where he is. Mm. Um, and the sea, by the way, a sea just means a body of water you couldn't swim across easily. So it's like a lake. It's like a Texas lake. 
It's a, it's not that huge. But it, to run around, it would to still run be. around. Yeah, you're still probably <laughs> talking eight miles. That they that they just you know six to eight miles. They just ran around to go get there. I I can look up real quick. Okay, keep going. Good. The slow ones are telling the fast ones. Save my spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna catch my breath. Good. Yeah. Okay, keep going. What well, else do you notice? Well, they're they're hungry. So it's okay. Good. They just ran eight miles. Yeah, of course. I know. Of course, yep. they're hungry, and they're okay. not in a spot where they can get food easily. So they, the disciples don't have enough food to feed them, and okay. so they want to send them away to get Good. food. It's interesting. It mentions the color of the grass. It's like Chris, yeah. Chris Sherrod. Chris Sherrod is wanting to join. Should we? Should we? Add him right now. Um, let's wait a second and go through. Let him know. We'll we'll, we'll okay. wait a second and then we'll get him in. Okay, good. What about the color of the grass? Green grass. Isn't it's that weird? Yes, green. I thought okay. that was really weird. Yeah. Good observation. You're like, wait a minute, green grass. What is that about? I mean, grass is green, right? Is this telling us the season? What's the point of that? Yes. What do you think? Also, so it's green grass. Yeah. Well, and there's not a ton of grass there, right? Well, no, it depends. There it is. By the Sea of Galilee, it, there's it some, certainly. The, yeah. Okay. Um, They're in a desolate in, place. Interesting. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Okay. You're sits like, them down in someone, groups. Did someone yeah. direct Count? them to yeah, do exactly. that? Is that just cultural? Well, he, so he has them sit down in groups. Good. And he does what for them? He... Divides the, or, divides okay. the food. Well, blesses pray, the food. Yeah. Blesses the food. It, right. It gives them. He blesses the food and then he feeds them. Good. And they're right by the Sea of Galilee. Mm -hmm. And they're sitting in the green grass. Yes. And what does he say when he gets off the boat? He says, you give them something to eat. And what does he say? That, what does oh, he oh, oh. say to himself? This, this is, is a, a desolate, desolate place. Good. And the hour is now late. Yes. Yep. And he saw that. What did he see about them? That they were hungry. Okay, good. That they're like sheep without a shepherd. Without a shepherd. Mm -hmm. So he has them lie down in the green grass. Oh. <laughs> and he prepares a table for them by the still waters. What? In a desolate place. Wow. So when you observe well this passage, what you discover is that Peter, through Mark's writing, is revealing that Jesus is the shepherd of the 23rd Psalm. It's important that the word green is in there. That's probably mm. meant to be the word that makes you go, wait, Oh, uh, where have Wait, I heard green, that? Where yeah, have I heard, heard green grass? And where are they in a desolate place? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths. They just ran all the way around the sea, which by the way is more like, we don't know if it's all the way around, but yeah. he just went to it. Anyway. Wow. <clears throat> I actually haven't heard that. Yeah. Um, my mind is blown. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord to you forever. So what's cool is you read this story. And, and, it's, and it's the a Jewish beautiful audience, story. audience would know that. A Jewish audience would pick up probably almost immediately on this lesson that he's Man. teaching. Um, Mark is filled with this kind of stuff and only, but you can only know, like you've, y'all probably heard me teach to the woman with the issue of blood, this, this cute little story about God, about Jesus healing a woman who's, who's been on her period and it's never stopped probably. But when you hear the whole thing unpacked, you're like, Oh, when you understand the whole Jewish context mm. of that era, you understand what's going on. You see the significance. Why would she sneak up on him? Why the man lowered through the roof, for example, or right. the one I was going to read about, 
So I, one of the reasons I love is the, is the Jesus stilling, calming the sea. Again, knowing how that works is important, but uh, people read it and the first time ever they realize there's a bunch of boats around and it's at night. Most people don't picture this calming of the sea at night and that there's boats everywhere mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how scary it would be to be in a storm in the dark with boats smacking all around like wooden boats, wouldn't barely wooden boat. We've you've seen yeah. the it's like glued together pieces of cardboard that how terrible their boats were um, on the Sea of Galilee. But man, all of a sudden it, the whole story comes to life for you and you're able to see it in a way that didn't make sense before because of the good hermeneutics. And you're mm. able to spot the story sometimes that's going on even behind the story. And mm. That's not just Mark is one of the play, greatest places to do that because it's so it's near the surface for those of us who are pretty new at it. Yeah. But we were talking about the Bible Project guys, for example. That's what they they are trying to do that with. I mean, they're in Leviticus now. Mm-hmm. Right. And so blessings on them. But the um, uh, for for trying to really unpack Leviticus like that. But they do. They go into the what they're doing and other speakers and teachers are now doing more and more than ever is diving into the correct observation and then moving into correct interpretation, understanding yeah. what are we dealing with? What are the genres, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the form of speech? What's going on here? And you, if you have to observe until you're, you're just weary of observing, and then you've got to start the research. And again, you could read that story a thousand times and love it and learn about it and, and be blessed by it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not a bad thing. And then if you take it to the next level and you do some study and research, then you can discover, wait a minute, there's, there's something else going on here. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really cool to get to study deeply into scripture like that and, and understand that Peter isn't just talking about that, that time when Jesus fed all those people. Mm. He's also revealing what that says about Jesus, that he's the good shepherd. Mm-hmm. So but what cool. an inspiring reason to want to study hermeneutics is right. not just so that my understanding, I mean, my understanding of scripture and God is enough of a reason. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, but also just to understand like my love of scripture will grow and my oh, understanding yes. of God will grow. And, um, if I don't dig into this at a minimum, my understanding may be limited. And when right. it could be so much, I like understanding scripture even deeper and the more beautiful story that it is, it's yes. just really inspiring. Isn't it, isn't it, isn't it so us as Christian, as, as humans, but sometimes as Christian humans that, that our main motivation for not our main motivation for something like hermeneutics is to not do it wrong. Right. Versus recognizing, you know, there's also this great gift waiting for you when you do it right. Mm -hmm. There's this really cool thing that's going to happen as we get to unpack this in new ways and dive into it and really study it and see the depths of it is why people have spent I mean, thousands and millions upon millions of hours mm-hmm. writing and studying and digging into this. And it's just fascinating. It's, it is such a, that's when I see the living value of God's mm-hmm. word is that it is living. It is active. Mm-hmm. Um, I could teach the same passage 20 times in a lifetime and it's the same basic truth. I will learn and grow. I may get to go to, you know, 201 and 301 and 401 class level of it, the more I study it. Mm-hmm. But again, the revealed truth is still there at one level for everybody. And, and you don't want to, yeah, yeah, you can make mistakes. You can study it badly or poorly or toss this out or throw it away for whatever reason. But man, I, I just think, I think when we observe and then how do we, so the application we say, okay, what do I do with knowing 
that Jesus is capable of providing at this level. Mm-hmm. He doesn't promise he's always going to do this at every time. He doesn't go around. In fact, the next chapter is him telling people, or soon after this, is him essentially confronting people like, you're just following me around because you want food. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm not, I'm not going to give you any more food right now. So it's, it's not that he promised. He's not just the, the master gravy train caterer. Mm-hmm. It's um, There's more to it. So what does it mean that he's the shepherd? And then I can begin to study what does it mean to have a shepherd mm-hmm. in my life? Yeah. And uh, and that's a powerful picture. So what anyway. What does it mean that I'm a sheep? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That too. Exactly. So what does it reveal about it? I actually was going to say uh, what you said earlier, that God's word is about him. And that is true. And what he reveals about us right. is part of that. And so, yeah, that he is a shepherd means we get to be sheep. So yeah, this is, this is kind of... Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers.